We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning, good morning, and happy Friday, and we are continuing to talk about the debate from Wednesday night. This was the fourth uh, Republican GOP primary debate, and also comparing and contrasting that one a little bit with the debate between uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and Governor Gavin Newsom that was the blue versus red debate uh, that was moderated by Sean Hannity uh, the week prior. And so joining me now is uh, Father Frank Pavone, who is the founder of Priests for Life. And Frank, I appreciate you uh, joining me this morning because um, one of the contrasts that I wanted to talk about specifically is the issue of life, because this is a of course, the fundamental right. This is something that our AFR family cares very deeply about, as we should. And uh, this is, uh, and the the abortion topic, the pro-life topic, um, is going to be a key issue in the 2024 election. And what was fascinating to me um, was to see how the extreme leftist position that Gavin Newsom would not admit on the debate stage in the blue versus red debate uh, didn't even get mentioned in the debate Wednesday night. And I thought that that was in the two hours, even though there were amazing questions. I thought it was the best debate out of all four so far. Um, It was actually very odd to me that the issue of pro-life didn't come up during that debate. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, the, the for, for whatever reason, you know, the RNC um, keeps, uh, first of all, uh, choosing more left-wing uh, outlets and moderators than uh, than conservative ones. Um, but that necessarily wouldn't necessarily explain the whole thing. Maybe they felt that it was adequately covered in the previous ones. I mean, there was some good uh, good time given. Uh, but now that the field is is narrowing down, I think the discussion of it could be even more, even more, uh, even more productive. And uh, as far as what that discussion could have been, you know, Jenna, there's a debate within the within the uh, not only among the candidates but within the movement of pro life about well, where where do we draw the line? Is six weeks heartbeat bill? Fifteen weeks? Where's you know where 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 should we 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 aim? And we don't even know that the next president would have such a bill reach his desk, given that the Congress can't even pass a no taxpayer funding bill right now. So a more realistic line of questioning, which would have been very appropriate for for Wednesday night, would be, okay, um, will you, on your first day of the presidency, 
reinstate the Mexico City policy, and will you do it in its expanded version, uh, you know, as it was under, under President Trump? And I think, you know, that's a more realistic and productive question, because that's something that whoever the next president is will be a decision for day one. You know, do I, do I protect our taxpayer money from funding abortion overseas? And, and I wish they would get not only get back to the issue, which, like you said, is the most fundamental issue, but that they would get back to it with questions that we know the next president is going to need to answer in a practical way. Yeah, and that's a really great point, uh, Frank Pavone, that this is going to be an issue that the next president will have to address. It's not just a matter of will you sign uh, a an abortion ban if it hits your desk. I mean, that has been really the question that a lot of these moderators have asked uh, when we're talking about maybe a, a congressional bill that addresses abortion. I don't know that Congress will ever agree on on anything abortion related to actually get that to a president's desk. I would hope that we would have a conservative enough majority in both houses of Congress to actually accomplish that through uh, the language of the 14th Amendment. But that's um, that's that's not really probable, I would say. But that's not really the first day question. Um, as you mentioned, every president will have to determine uh, what they do in terms of federal funding um, for abortion in in some of these instances that President Trump truly was, was very good on. And uh, they're going to have to de- determine that day one. And what we saw Wednesday night with the contrast in conservative policy versus some of these neocons, uh, but in the Ukraine issue, in the immigration issue, in, in a host of issues, I would have loved to see the contrast between, say, a Governor DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy's response versus a Nikki Haley and a Chris Christie, because I do genuinely think we would have seen di- a difference. And so for voters... Yes. In terms of that day one, what should we be looking for as the best articulation of a truly pro-life president's position? Well, we have to look, first of all, do they see this as a matter of principle or just of policy? When it comes to the right to life, the the, the policy is the principle. In other words, there's no in between killing a baby or not killing a baby. Uh, It's life and death. And in that sense, when people ask me, you know, the candidates will debate about, a, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, Governor DeSantis, you know, I'm here in Florida. I was at the bill signing ceremonies of, of his pro-life bills. And, and, you know, he gave us the 15-week, I mean, obviously, the legislature gave it to him, but he signed the 15-week bill. And then, and then the following year, which was earlier this year, the, the heartbeat bill, um, it, it, the, 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 so there will be debates among the candidates about that. It's a matter of principle. And when people ask me, well, you know, where should we draw the line, you know, six weeks, 15 weeks, 20 weeks, you know what my first answer to that is? We don't have any authority to draw any lines, any more than we have an authority to draw a line as to where or when your life or mine will be protected. Do we want a country where, hey, if you travel into New York, you know, your life is not necessarily protected, but go to Mississippi and Louisiana and your life is protected? It's absurd. And, and I think we're starting to lose, and I'm not saying there isn't a place for debating about the types of legislation, because there obviously is, because that's where the rubber beats the road, and in practice, people have to know what they're, what they're doing legislatively. But, but as a matter of principle, I think the, the key question right now, as we consider 
our choices in this election. You know, are we talking about this as a principled matter that every child, born and unborn, is made in the image and likeness of God, and it is beyond the authority of government to say, to, to authorize the killing of that baby. It's beyond the authority of government to authorize a violent act against the baby. That's where we've got to start. Otherwise, uh, and the other thing, I, I, I and this kind of goes back to, uh, you know, the Newsom um, DeSantis debate, where I governed in DeSantis did such a fabulous job that, that night, uh, and I think we should all be grateful to him for that. But, you know, when pro-life came up, uh, you know, like you said, Newsom uh, perfectly represented the Democrat evasion on this issue. And I wrote a piece for the Gateway Pundit after that and, and the next day, and I said, look, here's my challenge to Newsom and, and all the Democrats. Define and describe what you defend. They don't want to do it. They want to say abortion is going to be our main issue 2024. I say go for it. Be my guest. But don't pretend to talk about abortion. Actually talk about it. You never hear them define it. You never hear them quote the medical textbooks on how an abortion is done. Because if they did that, they'd have to use the words dismember and decapitate. And then voters are really going to know that uh, these are not the people to put in, in any kind of public office. Yeah, and it was so frustrating to me watching that debate that Sean Hannity really tried to pin down Newsom on his extremist views on a late term and even partial birth abortion. And he just refused to answer the question. And it's almost like mm-hmm. going back and saying, oh, the Democrat Party just stands for the you know, safe, legal and rare. Well, we know that that is false. That is an absurd, right. ridiculous lie. And if he's really going to advocate for so-called women's rights to choose, then why isn't he up there advocating in front of a Fox audience that he could maybe think he could win a few people to his side. I mean, it was so blatantly obvious that he knows that his position is is wrong, it's untenable, where if this is Governor DeSantis, who is an ardent pro-life advocate, it doesn't matter what forum he's in. I mean, if he was on NPR, he would be saying that every life is valuable from the moment of conception all the way until natural death. I mean, because that is the moral position that is defensible. And so this is where I think, and you and I talk about this frequently, uh, Frank Pavone, that conservatives need to not run away from this argument. We have the only morally and biologically consistent argument on the abortion and the pro-life issue. And we can't run away from that or think that, oh, this is a topic that isn't going to be winning. And and I frankly do not like to see how so many even so-called conservatives are suggesting that because Governor DeSantis signed that heartbeat bill, oh, he's dead in the water now and he can't possibly win the nomination because that's just going to be a terrible issue for him. I think the exact opposite. I think that because he stood so strongly for life, he can build that momentum for the pro-life generation. Well, you know, we have, you know, uh, we have 14 states that go even further than that. I mean, Florida did, does not have a law protecting babies from conception. 14 states do. And so to say that the, you know, that, that, that it's a losing issue. I mean, the, the 14 states, they didn't suffer electoral, uh, consequences, negative electoral consequences for, for enacting an even, an even stronger, a pro-life policy. It's a mistake to say this is a losing issue. Uh, it is a winning issue. A lot of it depends, of course, on how the politician in question addresses it. 
uh, A, by not running away from it. Because as soon as you start running away from it, voters are smart enough to realize, you know, that, that okay, they don't have a persuasive case. Otherwise, they would make it. That the, uh, the Democrats don't have a persuasive case for their extremism on this. So they run away from it. Um, they pretend to talk about abortion when they're talking about anything but. So there's that's 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 one point. And secondly, when when people think about these states that have had these battles, like the one we just had in Ohio, and you know the other side just deceptively uh, uh, using uh, um, these deceptive ads, lie literally lie to voters as to what they're voting about, and people say, oh well, you know, seven uh, states, you know, the pro-choice side won these these referenda. Yeah, but again, we got twice as many states. That, that, that implemented what we, what we see as the goal of protecting all these babies. And then we have a whole lot more states beyond that, which uh, have increased rather than decreased their protections of the unborn. I think the fundamental, a fundamental way that we could frame the abortion question for this upcoming election is simply this. And I've recommended this to some candidates. Does it, do the American people want more abortion or less? What is it that they want? And, 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 and both the polling and the will of the people as expressed through legislation and just the behavior of people indicates they really do want less, not more. If they elect the Democrats, you're going to get more. Elect the Republicans, you're going to get less. Mm, that That's a really great way to, to simplify the question and to not make it about a, you know, so-called woman's right to choose and, you know, making it about all of these other, um, you know, exceptions and, and other things that tend to, uh, you know, make, make conservatives back away from the issue. But to, to genuinely ask that question and to say, you know, we want other alternatives as well. I hate the, the binary position that the Democrats have tried to force the conversation into um, in, ter- in terms of, well, either forced birth or abortion are the only options. You know, it- it's like, no, there are there are actually genuinely a lot of other options. And um, yes. and in terms of um, adoption, in terms of, um, you know, actually saving sex for marriage. I mean, what a concept. right? <laughs> and so, I mean, so many <laughs> other things that we can talk about in terms of the life issue. And, and this just is a constant reminder, Frank Pavone, that we need to not only answer the question and enter the debate on the Democrats' leftist terms. Otherwise, you're already at a disadvantage when you even enter uh, the, the conversation. And that's why we need to frame this truthfully. We need to frame it well. But we need to continue to advocate for pro-life. So, uh, Father Frank Pavone, always really appreciate your comments, the hard work that you do at Priest for Life uh, for pro-life and let us pray that 2024 begins truly the pro-life generation we'll be back with more here on jenna ellis in the morning if you're like most of us you're paying way too much for health care that's why i want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the health care needs of hundreds of thousands of christians and that's christian Healthcare ministries chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of 
CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And I do speak truth with love, uh, but I also love that Daily Wire speaks truth with a little bit of snark and comedy. And their new movie that is out is called Lady Ballers, which uh, explores from a comedic perspective men engaging in women's sports. And this is a really hilarious comedy. And I was going to play the trailer for you, but I think that you just need to go to uh, either YouTube, Rumble, Daily Wire Plus and watch it for yourself because the audio just doesn't do it justice. You really, really need to actually see all of the amazing characters and all of these uh, men and some of your favorite personalities that are now dressed up as women and saying, hey, we can go and dominate women's sports. Uh, So joining me now to discuss all of this and more is my very dear friend from the Daily Wire himself, Michael Knowles. So Michael, um, what what was the impetus for Daily Wire to have this kind of uh, comedy and, and I think this brilliant display of how insane this issue actually is for anyone to defend. Well, thank you so much. The impetus was Jeremy Boring needs to play with fire. He is like a little boy who has been left by his mother alone in the home, and he insists on doing the wildest, craziest things that could burn the company down, or that could be a big success and uh, continue the growth of the company. And somehow the guy just keeps catching lightning in a bottle. Uh, But... He was looking around, and he said, okay, we're making entertainment now. We've got this big platform, big distribution. So how do we make a movie that only the Daily Wire can make? It's not that only the Daily Wire could ever have made this movie. In fact, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, any Hollywood studio would have been clamoring to make this movie because the cultural fact is so insane. We now have hulking, gigantic men competing against women in sports, and surprise, surprise, they're winning all the trophies because men are physically much stronger and faster than women. That's a funny premise for a movie. Hollywood wouldn't touch it. We were the only company that could make the movie, and so we did make it. And Jeremy wrote the script. He wrote it in, I don't know, two weeks or something. He then uh, sent it to me, I read it. I said, this is a masterpiece. The script is absolutely hilarious. Can we actually get away with it? He said, I don't care. We're doing it. Uh, We filmed this thing in like, I don't know, 28 days or something. I mean, it was such a short period of filming. The entire process, pre-production to release, was about six months. And my only hold up on it was I said, Jeremy, do you think we could actually pull it off? And uh, the reviews are in, and I'm pleased to say it's the number one streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes, 97% audience score. The liberals absolutely despise it. So, uh, you know, I think it checks every single box, and I, I hope that your audience loves it as well. 
<laughs> and and I love Michael Knowles that Jeremy Boring, who's been a, also a dear friend of mine personally for years, just says, I don't care, let's do it, because that should be how conservatives treat the, the most absurd and insane issues that the left genuinely takes seriously and thinks that somehow society needs to defend. But I think you're right in this goes to a bigger cultural problem that comedy used to be actually funny and and you could get away with some of these more hilarious style plots that made fun of absurdity or some known facts like men are stronger than women and so this type of plot would have been hilarious 10 or 15 years ago from a big Hollywood production company you'd get somebody like Will Ferrell to star in it you'd get somebody like you know Adam Sandler we were talking before the program about dodgeball you know some of these uh, th- these more physical comedies. And yet, this is now being panned by leftists because why? It's it's not respecting, you know, the trans woman and the Leah Thomases of the world? Well, my favorite criticism from the left of this movie, uh, most of them are, are criticizing this movie without ever having seen it, of course. But of course. My, my favorite criticism from a left-wing reviewer who had seen it was uh, this person said, uh, that the conservatives here are undercutting our own argument. Because one of the jokes of the movie, you can even see this in the trailer, is that, that no one wants to watch women's sports. And then all of a sudden the men start competing, and all of a sudden people start paying attention to it. And it becomes much more physically exciting, and it becomes much more violent. And so this, this reviewer said, well, you guys, you, you say you're defending women's sports, but you're actually attacking women's sports by suggesting that that women aren't as good at sports or that, that men can beat them. And, of course, I think these left-wing reviewers are playing themselves here. I think they actually have, have totally missed the point of the movie, which is, yeah, no one cares about women's sports. We care in the sense that if our daughters are playing a sport, we don't want to see them cheated of their trophies. We care in that the whole point of establishing women's sports is so that they can play their own games and not have to compete against men to whom they will lose. But the reason that the women's sports issue with regard to transgenderism has become such a national conversation is not because people care about the WNBA. Nobody cares about that. It's because it's so obviously unjust. It's because we love women. (laughs) We want them, especially the women who have trained their whole lives, we want them to be able to have the glory that is due to them. And we want them to be able to win their prizes that are due to them. And we want them to be able to win scholarships, by the way. There's actual money on the line here, material gain. We want them to, to receive the scholarships that they compete for, and we don't want men to cheat them out of it. The issue is not women's soccer, about which no one actually cares. The issue is justice. And and. There are very few issues in public life today that are a more glaring example of injustice than some giant dude taking away a trophy from a girl who's trained her whole life. And Michael Knowles, uh, that just just beautifully articulates exactly what Riley Gaines said earlier this week in front of Congress, talking about the unfairness of men competing in women's sports and talking about how these transgender swimmers who are men dressed up in, you know, the, the one one piece suits uh, instead of their men's shorts that they should be wearing and they're swimming and they are winning and dominating uh, beating all of the world records and getting all of the the gold medals and Leah Thomas was something like 
close to 400th in the men's category and now is first against someone like Riley Gaines, who is at the top of her game simply because he's a biological man. And so this is it's such a fascinating comedy because it within the context of the hilarity of the ridiculousness of this issue, it's highlighting something that is more I think culturally fundamental, which is that injustice, that inherent unfairness that the left just cannot get around. And I can't believe that anyone at all who is rational would defend a man dressing up as a woman and going and playing women's sports. But you know who did that actually uh, is Nikki Haley. And she went even further in a conversation that has actually broadly uh, gone viral on X, formerly known as Twitter, in the last couple of days, even ahead of the GOP a debate that was on Wednesday night. And uh, she said this about parental rights in uh, in surgeries for minors. Listen to this. Uh, Madam Ambassador, another question is what care should be on the table when a 12-year-old child in this country assigned female at birth says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy. What should the law allow the response to be? Well, I think the law should stay out of it, and I think parents should handle it. This is a job for the parents to handle. And then when that child becomes 18, if they want to make more of a permanent change, they can do that. But I think up until then, we see with our teenage kids, they go through a lot during puberty. They go through a lot of confusion. They go through a lot of anxiety. They go through a lot of pressures. We should support them the whole way through, but we don't need to go and enforce something in schools. We don't need schools sitting there hiding from the parents Mm -hmm. what gender pronoun they're using. We don't need to have those conversations in schools. Those are conversations that should be had at home. So, Michael, I thought Nikki Haley's running as a Republican. (laughs) Uh, This was a terrible answer, truly. Uh, I like the woman a lot personally. I I really like Nikki at a personal level. I I think this was a profoundly dissatisfying answer to most Republicans, most reasonable people who would say that, uh, you know, the, the transing of kids is an extreme form of child abuse. I mean, you are, you are in many cases, sterilizing these kids. You're giving them major health problems for the rest of their lives. You're giving them bone problems. You're likely shortening their life expectancies. To, to say nothing of the psychological problems that go along with this, the increased rates of anxiety, suicidality, depression, and to say nothing of the fact that you're just lying to them. You're telling a kid that a man can become a woman, which is not true. And, and so Nikki's argument here is that the the government ought to be smaller and we ought to get the government out of decisions. But if the law has nothing to say about an extreme form of child abuse, if if the law has nothing to say about ideologues castrating little kids, then the law has nothing to say about anything. You know, this would be a pretty basic uh, um, aspect of governmental regulation. Now, what does it mean for Nikki's campaign? I actually think that there is going to be a significant minority of Republicans who support this view. Not you, not me, not the social conservatives, but but a significant portion. And in, in recent weeks, we've seen a lot of the anti-Trump support in the GOP establishment and even among rank-and-file voters begin to move toward Nikki Haley. She got a major endorsement from the Koch Network, uh, the, the Kochs who represent that pro-business, stay-out-of-social-issues kind of wing of the party. And, and so is it going to make her the nominee? Uh, no. I, I, I think probably for most voters that 
that stance would be disqualifying. But uh, will it allow her to continue to remain in the race and be the anti-Trump candidate heading into the Iowa caucuses and the primaries? Uh, Probably it will. Uh, Oddly enough, for a lot of the Nikki Haley fans and donors, this is probably a perfectly acceptable answer. Which is just so tragic and completely missing the point that you're right, Michael Knowles, if the law doesn't protect children against child abuse, then what's next? We're going to say, well, you know, we need to just allow the the therapists and the social workers to go into domestic violence situations, for example. And, you know, who cares if there's a murder in the home? You know, that's between the husband and the wife. Like, it just really doesn't matter. We need to let them debate that between. Well, no, the law criminalizes certain conduct for a reason. And that's why the government can, under those special circumstances, invade the province of the home. Now, it can't uh, then obfuscate or infringe upon other parental rights, which, of course, is the actual care and upbringing and decision-making in other contexts for parents. But there's always been a bright-line distinction there. But the law is also about fundamental fairness. And this is where we get to the women's sports issue. Because even if we want to totally ignore reality as a society and say that men can become women and all of that nonsense— What about fundamental fairness? And I think one of the things that Lady Ballers, this movie, so perfectly, hilariously displays is how unfair just the brute force of men is competing against women. That's right. Our our big holdup making the movie, Jeremy had to face this very directly as the director of the movie, was we don't want to watch the scenes that we have to film of men dominating these women, you know, smacking them with basketballs in the face and wrestling them. Can you imagine? I mean, that's all you want to see a a big man wrestling a little woman. Uh, And and this, this gave Jeremy some pause as the director, but what impelled him to go on filming it was this isn't fiction. (laughs) This kind of a scene only exists in one comedy movie in America. It exists in reality in every state in this country. This is really happening to women. For goodness sakes, when men started competing in women's MMA, one of the first things that happened is that one of the top female fighters had her skull cracked by a man because the men are obviously so much physically stronger. So, you know, while it might make one wince to watch a woman get hit with a basketball during a movie, Think about how much worse, how much more dangerous this really is in real life. Uh, You know, I I think that is a big part of the reason why the movie has gained so much traction is because we all know this to be true. Frankly, even the pro-trans people know this to be true. That's why they protest, you know, that that we might say that the... uh, the man lady doth protest too much. You know, the trans lady doth protest too much. They all know that men and women are different. We're just not allowed to say it. Years ago, I remember we were approached by an agent in a major Hollywood agency here at the Daily Wire. And they said, oh, we can work with you. We can do a lot of great stuff together. But you got to give up the trans issue. You can talk about abortion. You can talk about who you want to vote for. You just can't talk about this one issue. This is the special issue for the left. But the problem is there's always one issue for the left. There's always that one thing you're not allowed to talk about. And coincidentally, that's the one issue that happens to be up for debate. Now we can talk about marriage. We can talk about so-called gay marriage. 
because it's a dead issue. The Supreme Court already ruled on it. We can talk about taxes. We can even talk about immigration. Nothing's going to happen. On this issue, I think the liberal elites know that public opinion is overwhelmingly on the side of fairness, justice, and the reality that men and women are different. And that's why they want to shut us all up. They want to kill this movie. They want to shut down our company. We're suing the State Department because we've just found out that the State Department has been funding efforts to shut down the Daily Wire. That lawsuit was just filed today. So we, we know for a fact they want to shut down this conversation. And I'm thrilled that people are willing to fork over their money and give us their time to watch it and support getting the truth out there. Well, as a proud Daily Wire subscriber uh, myself, I am very willing to support these types of truth-telling efforts, especially in the entertainment world, because in so many conservative circles, whether it's on a Republican platform, it's at a conference, it's even at church, you generally have a person standing behind a podium talking. And we have failed. And, and our, our good friend uh, Drew Clavin speaks about this, I think, one of the best about how Christians have completely ceded entertainment and that entire category over to the left. And we do such, you know, C and D grade work that really isn't worth supporting. And that's why the Daily Wire going after, for example, the Walt Disney Company and giving good alternative programming and then having these types of movies is worth funding, it's worth supporting, and it's worth engaging in so that we can continue to not only show that Daily Wire can be successful, but hopefully to encourage other conservative outlets to follow suit and to follow in your trailblazing efforts. Um, So Lady Ballers is now out. People can watch that. Is it only on uh, Daily Wire subscription, or can people view this as kind of a one and done independently so that they can kind of get a taste of it and then see if they want to subscribe? They can certainly view this as a one and done movie just as soon as they subscribe to The Daily Wire. (laughs) (laughs) So, to your point, Jenna, and I really appreciate the pitch, uh, this has never been done before. We've never had a conservative media company actually making cultural products on this scale. It's been a a pipe dream for a long time in Hollywood. I was part of those social groups back when we were all trying to do this 10 years ago. It's actually happened. For now, at least, we have a business model that is making it work. It is entirely dependent on people subscribing and and supporting it uh, so that not only can The Daily Wire continue to to make movies and shape the conversation and change the conversation on Capitol Hill and and affect the whole culture, but what we want to do is prove that conservatives actually have a winning business model to do this so that other companies can do this as well and it can become a much more sustainable alternative to the liberal economy uh, that that has, has pushed us out of the public square for, for far too long. Absolutely. And, and one of the other things that I love about this as well is that with so much of the entertainment culture and the things that we do, you know, after our jobs, we want to disengage with politics and then we turn on the TV or we watch a movie and we have to either fast forward or we have to ignore, or we have to talk to our kids about, well, okay, you know, no, this scene wasn't great or let's talk about the worldview behind it. And it actually becomes so frustrating. I mean, to the point, I don't subscribe to cable anymore uh, because it's just not worth it. And I don't even, I don't have Hulu anymore because it's just not worth it. I don't watch anything other than for sake of cultural commentary, right? To be able to go back and be like, look at 
Shonda Rhimes and how we started with a reasonably okay series and now look at how insane it's become like, you know, 27 years later of Grey's Anatomy and that's a whole other problem. But, you know, but for this type of entertainment to actually teach a truthful message while being entertaining, we don't have enough of that, Michael Knowles. And I think that that has been a huge blind spot to conservatives overall when, yeah, we're teaching things, but teaching can be entertaining as well. Absolutely. That, that is what we're after. I'm with you. I, I don't subscribe to cable. I don't watch any of that stuff. I just, who, who has time to put all of the, the prefaces and follow-up conversations and limitations on this? You know, we want people to be able to just turn on the TV and watch content that they know reflects reality and that is appropriate for all ages. So we've got adult comedies like Lady Ballers. We have an adult cartoon coming out with Adam Carolla and Roseanne and a lot of other people called Mr. Burcham. And then we've got kids entertainment, which is frankly what I was the most excited about. Uh, this is bent key kids and it's content. It's not didactic. It's not just slapping you over the head with a message. It's, it's just good kids entertainment that you can trust to put your kids in front of and know that they're not going to have some crazy ideology slammed down their throat. We, we, we think there's a market for an alternative to what the liberal elites have turned all of our biggest institutions into. We think there's major public demand for it. I think we've been proven right so far, so we really appreciate everyone who's come over and joined already, and, and we hope that many more people do and avail themselves of this alternative. Excellent. And just the last minutes I have with you, uh, Michael Knowles. And, and again, the, the movie is Lady Ballers and it's out right now on Daily Wire subscription. So uh, do join and subscribe and you'll find a lot of other really great content there as well, including the Michael Knowles show, which um, is one of my personal favorites, even though um, I hear from Jeremy and all the others that, you know, Michael is is uh, the, the one that would be out the door the soonest if this doesn't <laughs> succeed. So this is also my pitch to save Michael's job. Um, I'm just Thank saying. Thank you. I appreciate but, <laughs> yeah. But um, so in terms of a preview of the movie and people can go and watch the trailer on all platforms and I encourage you to do so. It's really funny. Um, so Jeremy is in the movie as well. He's the the coach and we actually see some of the other Daily Wire personalities. There's a cameo uh, by Senator Ted Cruz. Um, are you in the movie? Is Ben Shapiro in the movie? What what can you give us in terms of those previews? I don't want any spoilers here, but yes. Not only are we in it, not only am I in it, not only is Ben in it, uh, there are a lot of other uh, fun uh, cameos from people in the Daily Wire, outside of the Daily Wire, throughout the political world. I was actually sitting next to Senator Cruz in the theater when we were watching the premiere of it. I can attest our senator friend from Texas was laughing considerably throughout the movie, and so I hope you will, too. There are a lot of fun people who, who crop up during it. Excellent. All right. Well, no spoilers here, but Michael Knowles, Daily Wire, thank you so much. How can people, uh, besides subscribing, uh, find you, follow all of your great work? And I love all of your snark and truth telling on social media as well. So um, how can people best follow and support you? Well, thank you, Janet. You can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter, and that is at Michael J. Knowles. You can find me tonight. I'm actually going to be speaking at Clemson on a related issue on how kids are not commodities on surrogacy and IVF. Uh, You can find me uh, all over social media, Michael J. Knowles at at just about all of them. And, of course, find me at The Daily Wire. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time and really looking forward to this movie being a smashing success. No pun intended. (laughs) Thanks. Always great to chat with you. Thank you, Jenna. All right. Thanks so much. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Finally, some good news. Because of you, Preborn has rescued over 44,000 babies this year alone. Right now, thousands of mothers are awaiting birth of their precious babies, and thousands upon thousands of babies are taking their first breath. Since its beginnings, Preborn's Networks of Clinics has rescued over 270,000 babies. That is a miracle. The overturning of Roe versus Wade only made the left more ravenous for the blood of the innocent. So now we need to be more passionate to save babies. Thanks to Preborn, we can do just that. For $28, you can empower a mother to choose life. Once she sees the precious life growing inside of her and hears her baby's heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. And right now, through your match, your gift is doubled. Please give your most generous gift that will go 100% toward life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And I always appreciate uh, Michael Knowles dropping by the show. And I just, I love Daily Wire and I love uh, supporting them. They do such great work. And uh, Michael Knowles mentioned the lawsuit that was filed against the State Department. And if you missed it, on Thursday, I had uh, one of the senior litigation counsel, Peggy Little, from the new Civil Liberties Alliance on the show talking about that particular lawsuit. So I didn't get into that uh, with him this morning. Uh, specifically regarding the lawsuit, but there is that full interview that you can go and listen to that was after the debate analysis. I think it was the last segment on Thursday, so you can always go to AFR.net and uh, pull up any of the prior episodes from Jenna Ellis in the morning, or you can also listen to any of the prior episodes of all of our great shows here at AFR. And this lawsuit, though, is so incredibly important because uh, what has happened through um, the accountability that we've actually seen and what has come out through the Twitter files, through some of the investigation with the Missouri versus Biden a lawsuit that Attorney General from Missouri, Andrew Bailey, um, is, is now uh, prosecuting against the Biden administration is showing that there was um, a, there, there's been a lot of evidence that the Biden administration and actually according to this new lawsuit from the NCLA all the way back to the Obama administration and through the Trump administration um, carried forward into the Biden administration, the State Department and and other agencies, of course, within the federal government in the executive branch, but specifically with this lawsuit, the State Department that has attempted purposefully and intentionally to demonetize conservative outlets and platforms through advertisers and um, suggesting that advertisers should not, uh, and incentivizing advertisers from not funding those conservative media outlets. And Peggy Little gave us a list of um, about 20 different outlets, and you can see the clear contrast between the outlets that the State Department has said are fine, and they're, you know, great uh, sources of information like the Huffington Post and, you know, the Washington Post and some of these really, really left-leaning outlets versus the ones that they want to intentionally demonetize like the Daily Wire, the Federalist, and others. And so the Daily Wire is part of this lawsuit, and this is from the NCLA. 
You can find out more about it not only on my interview with Peggy Little, a senior litigation counsel from Thursday, but also at nclalegal.org. And this just underscores how important it is to have good lawyers who are willing to do this kind of work. The NCLA, like our good friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom, who, uh, full disclosure, I'm an allied attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom and also uh, with the Thomas More Society, um, but so many other of these um, nonprofit organizations, um, even like a Judicial Watch, for example. I mean, there, there are so many great organizations like this and associations of attorneys that have the resources to do this kind of work and to file these kinds of lawsuits that are so important to protecting our civil liberties. And we should be seeing lawsuits like this from the ACLU, for example. Why Why don't we? Well, unfortunately, a lot of what the ACLU does anymore is partisan and biased. Um, that is not truly just protecting civil liberties for all and the fundamental principles of the Constitution, but only looking toward uh, their woke agenda. And so we need good conservative organizations that aren't necessarily partisan. They're not Republican versus Democrat. They're simply conservative in the sense of Uh, ensuring that the original intent of the U.S. Constitution, which is to guarantee that the government preserves and protects the fundamental rights of every American, regardless of political viewpoint, regardless of party, regardless of anything else, uh, that those rights are guaranteed. And that should be true, frankly, between the Federalist and the Daily Wire and the Huffington Post and the Washington Post. Now, I don't like what those outlets uh, necessarily their bias. I don't agree with them. But I'm not looking for a Republican president to go and try to demonetize them and shut down their voice. I can ignore them as a conservative. I can tell people why they're wrong. I have the freedom of speech to do that myself. And so if we have the healthy competition in a truly free marketplace of ideas, then that's what we get to. More speech is always better than the government picking and choosing winners and losers. We don't allow that in this country, nor should the judicial branch allow that when we find this kind of evidence that the State Department is intentionally trying to demonetize conservative platforms. I mean, it's already hard for conservative for-profit outlets like the Daily Wire and the Federalist, who their revenue is based on advertisers and based on subscribers. Uh, It's already hard to monetize those types of platforms. That's why I encourage people go and and get a Daily Wire subscription, especially, you know, if you have given up Disney Plus or Hulu and cable and all this, then have your dollars fund the outlets and the organizations that are trying to make a difference. But that's already hard. And it's even harder when the playing field isn't even level. And when you have the State Department attempting to demonetize you. This is what Elon Musk is so frustrated with in terms of advertisers uh, being incentivized away from X now that it's a free speech platform. And he's allowing conservatives to voice our opinions on everything from the presidential election in 2024 to the, the COVID history to all of this other stuff that previously people were censored and suppressed for so-called disinformation that was really just the government's pretext and label 
on viewpoints that they didn't prefer. That's not how the government works in the United States of America. That's not the First Amendment's constitutional guarantee of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And so one of the other foundational guarantees that is textually enumerated in the First Amendment is the right to petition the government for redress. And this is why the hallmark of freedom in our constitutional structure is not only limited government power to not go and do these types of ridiculous censorship models, but the separation of powers. Because if all we could do in the United States is petition the Biden administration to stop what they're doing and say, please, please regime, uh, don't be as dictatorial toward me and the petty, petty tyrant that you have been, do you think the Biden administration would care? Absolutely not. The Biden administration during the history of COVID would have continued to forcibly compel employees uh, of of uh, employers of 100 or more to get this untested vaccine if they had not been stopped by a coordinate branch that had a separate power, the judicial branch. This is where our freedom genuinely is protected, is in a separation of powers. And this is why it's so important that the judiciary remains independent It remains originalist and conservative. This is why judges matter. This is also why ensuring that we don't allow legislation through these types of emergency health orders from the executive branch, they don't encroach upon the legislative purview. The executive branch cannot legislate. That is not a function of their separate and limited power. But what we've seen over the history, especially of the last 60 or so years, but even going all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century, has been this encrosion and kind of mixing of all of the powers into an encrosion and, and the the executive and the judicial branch now think they have the power of the legislative branch. And legislation, by definition, should be difficult to pass. That's why Congress can't just easily pass things. I'm glad that we don't have uh, the, the the ease in Congress of signing legislation and, and putting through legislation that we do the executive branch of just the president signing an executive order. Executive orders aren't, by definition, legislation. So in order to protect our fundamental freedoms, we have to go back to the actual model, the structure, and the text of the U.S. Constitution. This is what Governor DeSantis highlighted so incredibly well at the debate on Wednesday night, saying that the centerpiece of our American government is the U.S. Constitution. We have to get back to the protections that are required and demanded of our government through the Constitution because no government agent, president, judge, branch are above the Constitution. They can reinterpret it or reinvent it or even completely ignore it. They derive their power from the Constitution because we the people give government limited power to act on our behalf to specifically protect and preserve our freedoms. We as conservatives and as Americans absolutely have to enforce and reinforce that principle of limited and separate powers if we want to protect and preserve our freedom regardless of partisan politics for the next generation. So you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net, and I will see you Monday.
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.